Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. Let's stand together as we uh, reverence the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer you may be seated. <clears throat> Called our message tonight, Faith and Practice. Faith and Practice. The church at Thessalonica was born out of the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17 and verse 1 and following. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Three Sabbath days, three synagogues, three or synagogue meetings, three sermons, and uh, a whole lot of Q&A. Now let me just ask you tonight, how many of you would have loved to have been there and heard Paul preach those three sermons? I mean, can you imagine? Three sermons. Uh, I don't know how long they last. I'm sure probably perhaps uh, they would have lost track of time. I mean, three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul, you see, had begun his life as a Jewish rabbi. Not just any Jewish rabbi, but we would almost say the Jewish rabbi, the preeminent Jewish rabbi of his day. Uh, he was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, which meant that he only spoke the Hebrew language in public. Uh, he was very proud of his heritage and his history. He knew well, he knew well the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. We'd call him today a scholar of the Word of God. Oh, he knew about their traditions. He knew uh, about all of the regulations and rules of, of the traditions of their father. He, he knew it all. He had learned it, amazingly, all <laughs> as a lost man. Oh, but now Paul has been saved, gloriously saved. And so all of those things that he had learned as a lost man have come alive as they now are filled uh, with the Spirit of God and used. All of a sudden he could see things clearly. What an incredible blessing it must have been to listen to him explain and demonstrate that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. The Bible says that some of the Jews were persuaded, some. 
But then there were a large number of the devout Greeks. So apparently there was a very significant number of Gentile people. They called them proselytes. They had converted from their paganism to the Jewish faith. And though they could never, of course, be full participants in the Jewish religion, that uh, Gentile wall was there in the temple. There was only so far they could go in the temple worship. That was the court of the Gentiles. There was only so far they could go in the synagogue system. Uh, they were separated. But a great number of them, apparently, in Thessalonica had come to believe in the Lord God of Israel. And they would gather together on the Sabbath and worship. Uh, there in the synagogue along with the Jews. And while many of the Jews did not believe, some did. And many, many of those devout Greeks believed. And also, Luke tells us, many of the women, many of the women believed. We can't help but find that interesting that uh, it was the, the Gentiles, the Greek believers, and also many of the women, which would probably include the Jewish women as well, who embraced the teachings of Paul and the great news of the gospel so that they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they came then into the truth that under this new covenant that Jesus Christ has ushered in through the cross of Calvary, uh, there would be no more Jew or Gentile when they came together to worship. No separation there. No more male and female. No separation there. Because in this new covenant, we are all equal participants in the blessings. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, they eagerly embrace that truth. <laughs> uh, but not the Jews. At least not the Jewish men. They didn't like it very much. And it didn't take them long to stir up a stink, as they so often did. And after those three Sabbaths in, uh, uh, Paul had to leave town. But his ministry there was far from over. And uh, these two great letters that we have, First and, Thess and Second Thessalonians, give testament to that fact. Uh, he would speak of the church at Thessalonica as being an exemplary church. He spoke of how the word had sounded out from them and, and how people all over the empire had heard about the church at Thessalonica. So we could say not just a church was born in a three-Sabbath day, uh, less than a month ministry, uh, but we could say an exemplary church, a powerful church, a great church was the result of this message that Paul preached the work that he did. Uh, it wasn't just the preaching that he did on the Sabbath. Our text tonight, as Paul is recounting that time with the church at Thessalonica, uh, he talked about how that he had labored night and day. Uh, that was not uncommon with him. Uh, many times he would work a what we would call a secular job in order to support himself and those who were with him and so that his nights then were spent in the ministry of the Word of God. So night and day he worked with them, day in and day out. He describes himself as being devout, and that simply meant that he was on task. He was serious about what he was doing. He spoke of how he behaved himself justly and blamelessly. So here is a man of God, called of God, preaching the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God in the church at Thessalonica is a result. 
As I mentioned to you this morning, how often, not only in the Proverbs, but many other places in Scripture, there is a trilogy of things that are put together. And this happens again a couple of times in this text. He's all, we've already seen how that he was reasoning and explaining and demonstrating. Reasoning refers to a dialogue, an argument or an exchange of ideas, and I'm sure the discussion got pretty heated a few times and uh, uh, certainly animated uh, as he was reasoning with them. Uh, but also at other times, people no doubt asked questions respectively, uh, respectfully with great interest, and they were eager to hear. And so he was able to respond to those questions. Uh, it wasn't just preaching. It was that two-sided conversation as well. Explaining then speaks of how truths are laid out on display, how they that something maybe that had not been seen or was obscure could be opened up and laid out. Uh, so he was explaining to them uh, the truth of God, and he demonstrated it. And that speaks of laying things side by side. No doubt what he was doing in demonstration was that he would take those Old Testament prophecies of Jesus Christ and then show how that again and again and again and again Jesus fulfilled those prophecies to the last jot and the last tittle. One of the most compelling evidences, one of the most compelling reasons to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is the way that he fulfilled those Old Testament prophecies over and over and over and over again demonstrating. He could lay it out. Nobody, no doubt, could have done it like he could. He had studied it from the inside out. He knew all those prophecies. And so he was able to lay it out. This is what the Bible said Jesus would be. This is what he was. This is what the scripture said Jesus would do. This is what he did. Oh, what a time that must have been. As Paul then writes to them in our text, looking back on that time of, of ministry, there's another trilogy. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as the Father does his own children. He exhorted him. This is a word that means to call to someone. In, in this case, he was calling them to truth, and we'll see that truth specifically in a moment. Uh, he comforted them, the encouragement that he gave so that he was not only conveying information to them, uh, come see this, come learn this, there was also the encouragement that came from it. And uh, we've already talked about it just, to, uh, just briefly, but think of how encouraging it was uh, to those Greeks to know that because of the cross of Calvary, they could be equal participant in all of the blessings uh, so that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Oh, how encouraging it was uh, for them to know uh, that they would not be quartered off and treated somehow as second class or inferior, but they're now going to enjoy this exalted position through Jesus Christ. No separation, no Jewish quarter, no Gentile quarter, no women's section. He exhorted them with the truth. He called them to see it. He then comforted them with it. And then there's that third. He charged them with the truth. The charge is the most serious matter. It is a sacred trust. We're perhaps most familiar with his charge to his young protege, Timothy. I, I charge thee, Timothy, before God 
and uh, before uh, the, the one that the whole world will stand before, who will judge the world, judge the quick and the dead, he said. I charge you, preach the word, he said. Be instant, in season, out of season, a charge. It's the delivery of a sacred trust. It's as serious as it gets. I think back to the time when I had gone through driver's education. I had gone through two years of driving apprenticeship. I suppose it's still that way. You got a learner's permit at 14. And then on your 16th birthday, and after you'd passed all the required things, you finally were able to drive on your own. Uh, do you remember that first time you got the car keys? Do you remember? Most likely it wasn't a very big trip. You probably weren't driving across country somewhere. I mean, as best I remembered, I was going to Spring Hill, Louisiana, which was the grand total of eight miles from our house. There wasn't even a traffic light between us and Spring Hill. Oh, but I remember Dad, as I asked for the keys, reaching his pocket, handing them to me, and when I reached for him, he didn't turn them loose. <laughs> he looked me in the eye. He said, son, don't speed. Don't get a ticket. Don't have a wreck. <laughs> you be careful. Uh, that was a charge. Inherent in that, you see, was the implication that if I messed up in just about any way, I might not ever see those car keys again. It's very serious. Be careful. Obey the laws. Watch what you're doing. It's serious business. Well, the charge is serious business. And so Paul would tell them, not only did I uh, teach you these things, I, I called you to see it. I, I comforted you, comforted you with uh, the truth of, about who we are and what we have in Christ. But then I also charged you with the truth. So what was it? What was this truth? That's in verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now if we look at that passage and we think that we might somehow behave ourselves in such a way as to make ourselves deserving, worthy of what God has done for us, we're missing the point. That's not what the passage is telling us. Uh, we could never do that. Uh, instead, it is talking to us about walking in a worthy manner, conducting ourselves in a way that uh, is a good testimony to God who has called us into his own kingdom and glory. You see, it, it's not just about what we believe, our faith, but it's about our practice. And in the Old Testament economy, they, they would have been very familiar with the word walk. The walk was very important to them. It, it described all the different ways that their faith, their belief, their being Jewish, their being a descendant of Abraham, their being the children of God, the elect of God, as they would have called it. All of those things came to play in the way that they lived out their life. And when you think about it, almost every aspect of their life was regulated by their faith. Uh, how they lived, how they dressed, how they ate, uh, who they could visit, how, how far of a trip they could make. I mean, so many 
things of their faith were regular, or their, uh, their lives were regulated by their faith. And so their walk referred then to how they lived that out, how their faith made a difference in their life. And that's exactly what Paul was going to call them to. I'm going to charge you. I've, I've exhorted you. I've, I've called you to see this. I have comforted you with the reality of our faith. Now I want to give you this charge to walk worthy of the calling of God on our life. Now, I bring this passage to you at least partly tonight because we look here at something that worked. Uh, We are pragmatic enough, even in spiritual things, that we like to see things that work. We want to know what works. (laughs) Folks, this worked. This worked. Paul went there and began to preach and teach the Word of God. People listened and responded, and a great, great church was born. And he didn't uh, struggle to tell us what it was that he had done that was successful, what had worked. It was the, the, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what had worked. But it wasn't just the gospel message. It was the fact that they had received it. Even though the Jews rejected, it went beyond making their eternal destiny certain. It changed their lives in a way that was obvious, and it resulted in the establishment of this great church. You see, it's not just about something that is preached, the content, if you will. It's not just about how it was preached, the, 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 the passion, or by whom it was preached, the, the personality Uh, That was something else, and that is how the preaching was received. And the Bible gives a a great indication, a lot of indication in this passage about how it was preached. Yes, it had to be proclaimed, but for it to be successful, it had to be received. Jesus gave the famous parable of the sower uh, to show us how important that seed landing in certain soils and how that this kind of soil did not produce a crop and this one produced a crop and some, uh, some just a little bit, but some a whole lot, a hundredfold. The response to the word. And so tonight we're going to look at this passage just briefly to think about how we are to respond to the word of God as it is proclaimed First of all, we'll see they received the word. Verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God. That's the first part. They received it. Every time the word of God is preached, there are people who receive it. There are also people who reject it. Receive it or reject it. There were the Jews at Thessalonica who rejected it. We might uh, pull up uh, Paul's visit to Athens, for example, and think about when he preached there. And they laughed at him, called him a seed picker, a babbler. What's this babbler going to say? And it was the Greeks there who mocked him and rejected him. And and that was true everywhere that he went. Uh, People received it, yes. Uh, Some rejected it. And that, that always happens. And so for the success of work, for the work to... Move for faith and practice. This is though where it all begins. Will we receive it? Are we open? Is our hearts open? Our minds open to the truth of God? Will we 
receive the word. Now, the second thing he talks about is, is they heard it. They heard it. That you received the word of God, which you heard from us. Over and over again, Jesus talked about having ears to hear. If you have ears to hear, hear. And this simply meant that they would be attentive to it. And in the New Testament era, hearing was essential. There was only one way to get the word of God. <laughs> you had to hear it. It was passed before the New Testament was completed. It didn't spread out among people. It was passed along verbally. That's what it was. It was the only way the message could be communicated. So hearing then was very important. And though we can read the scriptures today, and what a glorious privilege we have today to have the Bible so available to us. We can read it, and we can study it, at any time. And yet still we read in this marvelous New Testament book that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so God still highlights the role of the oral proclamation of truth. We believe in it here at Faith Baptist. We have it in Sunday morning in our Sunday school. We have it Sunday morning in our morning worship service. We have it here at Faith at Five and on Wednesday night. We spread out all over this church building because some people are teaching the Word of God to others. And it's still important that we be able to open it, as the King James Version says, to be able to explain it uh, because there are so many areas where people will need help. And all the way from the time they're this age until they're old like me, they'll still need help understanding, getting the Word of God. If preaching then is to be effective, though, people must listen attentively to it. I've heard all the studies. In fact, uh, some of the books that have been written over the last few years that denigrate the role of preaching have been pretty powerful, I would say, in uh, in their efforts to, to put this down. To put this whole concept preaching. They'll talk about how that most people have an attention span of about uh, three minutes or so. Uh, some, uh, some studies have shown it's about they'll, they'll not tolerate being bored for longer than 30 seconds. Uh, I'll, I'll have to admit my thumb is pretty quick on the trigger if I'm watching television. Yours is too. Uh, I'll skip the commercials nearly every time if you give me an opportunity uh, anymore. Since we're watching most everything on YouTube, you can just fast forward through the slow stuff if it gets boring and, and get down to the good parts uh, where somebody's drawing back a bow or something. Uh, I watch a lot of that on YouTube. Uh, we don't have much tolerance. Uh, they talk about how that we become a, a visual learners in the era of audible communication is drawn to an end. I, all I can say is what the Bible says. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And if it was just me up here speaking to you tonight, uh, I might well uh, come and fall under uh, some of that. But, folk, there's more to it than this. There is the power of the Word of God. There is the power of the Spirit of God. It is at work. But still, we have to listen. I'll do my best for you, folk. However good that is or however bad it is, I don't know. I'll do my best. But my best still depends on you listening. I know how it is. You know, that phone always calls us. 
I hope it's on silent. <laughs> I'm trying to mimic that sound. Oh, I'm, I'm getting a text message. I don't know. That's why I seldom bring my phone. If I bring my phone into worship service, I've made a mistake. Because I don't do it. <laughs> I just won't. I bring this in here, but I put it on do not disturb where nothing will come through. So many things vie for our attention. We have to listen. We have to discipline ourselves and work at listen. These people, that's what they did. They received the word of God. They were open to it. And then they heard it. They heard it. And oh, I like this one. They welcomed it. They welcomed it. The act of welcoming anything is inherent in the idea. It is inherent in this welcome that we are opening up something and inviting something in. Uh, we welcome someone. If we welcome somebody in our home, we open the door and invite them in. And when we do that, everything changes. Everything changes when we invite someone in. Now, you may have been in from work. You may have had a plan. I'm going to get in my jammies, put my house shoes on, uh, get in my recliner, and... Uh, that would have been fine, but all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. Now you got company. Everything changes if you welcome them in. Now I know, I know what you're thinking. You can't just turn the light on, off, and act like nobody's home. You know, hit the, turn the light off, get up, y'all be quiet. I say, nobody would ever do that. You obviously hadn't been a preacher out on visitation before, I tell you. Oh, when people come in to your home, now you acclimate yourself to them. Uh, no matter what your plans were, you've got to accommodate your guest and deal with them. You see, to welcome the Word of God into our life changes everything. Especially when we recognize it as what it is. It is the Word of God, by the way. And, and we have welcomed that into our life. And therefore, we acclimate our lives to that truth. And we begin then to walk worthy of the God who has called us. We believe this. We've received it. We have welcomed that truth into our life. It changes my life. It changes my priorities. It changes us. There's one more thing to notice about the passage. And that is when the, when the word of God is, is preached. And people receive it. And they hear it. And they welcome it. It works. It works. Because you received the word of God, verse 13, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Our faith and our practice. So that this whole passage of scripture built around that concept of walking worthy, it sets it here in a setting to just show how powerful it was 
and God's people tonight how powerful it still is. When the word of God is proclaimed and taught in the power of the spirit of God. When people receive it, hear it, welcome it. And then go out so that it's not just what I believe. But it's what I practice. Then it works. It goes to work. It works effectively. It works effectively in us. It works effectively on us. And it works effectively in our community. And it may even spread. (laughs) It did at Thessalonica. So that people everywhere, everywhere, all over the world, were talking about that church. Why? Because of their faith and their practice. Hope all of us tonight can take this simple message I brought to you. It certainly is convicting to me, and I hope all of us, I didn't say all of you, all of us, can think a little bit more. Am I receiving the Word of God? Am I hearing it? Am I welcoming it into my life so that I must acclimate myself to it? It's what I'm learning from the Scriptures becoming not just my beliefs, what I believe. Oh, I believe it. But am I living it out? And if we are, then it'll work. It is working. And it will continue to do so. Let's stand together, please.